Christians know everything there is to know about God, no matter No, Mike? Okay. We'll try here. Good morning. Uh, we'll restart that. This morning, I want to talk about God. Um, I don't think, no matter how far you are in your Christian walk, that you can ever know enough about the God that we serve. And so, this morning, I want us to learn something about God. And I don't think there's a book in the Bible that teaches us as much about God as the books of First and Second Kings. Um, and those books, when they were written, they were originally one book just called the Kings. And I think they tell us a lot about God. When we look at them, we often think of them as books of history, but I think they're books that detail how God deals with his people. So the book of Kings, it was written to Jews who were in Babylonian captivity. These Jews are looking around and they're seeing their fellow Jews suffering. Um, they're, they're in captivity. They're slaves to the Babylonians. Um, they're looking around wanting to go worship God at the temple, but they can't because they're all the way over in Babylon. They're not in Jerusalem. And they're just wondering, where is God in all of this? Why has God abandoned his people? In fact, they are literally asking this question. And some of the Jews are giving the answer that, God is just whimsical. God abandoned them because he, he just didn't love them. Um, he's not with them. And so God has the writer of Kings write this book to show, first of all, how they got to where they are. To show every single king and how God gives opportunity after opportunity for them to turn to him. And how not only the kings but the people themselves continue to turn to foreign gods, to turn to idols, to sacrifice their children to these foreign gods. And more than that, um, we see God giving prophets to his people. So right in the middle of the book of Kings, we have two of the greatest prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And I think if you look at every single miracle done by Elijah and Elisha, you learn something about God from each and every one. And some of them are simple. I mean, you look at Elijah on Mount Carmel, and you see that God is victorious over foreign gods. Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal using the power of God. And so you can see that God is victorious. But then you have a small interlude later on in 2 Kings where a priest is chopping away at some wood and throws his axe into a, a lake. And Elijah comes, or Elisha comes and makes that axe float. And it shows us that God can find that which is lost. God can restore things that are lost. Today, what I want us to learn about God specifically is that our God is gracious. Our God is very gracious. And so we're going to look, if you want to turn in your Bibles, at 2 Kings chapter 5 and the story of Naaman. And we're going to see three ways in which our God truly is gracious. 2 Kings chapter 5. To begin, our God is gracious in provision. Our God is gracious in the way that he provides. I remember two years ago, May of 2018, I went to college at Northwestern Oklahoma State and I'd just gotten done with my first year, and I came home for the summer, and I was just wondering, what am I going to do with my life? I went to be an oncologist, that was my goal, and I went to school for that year, and I just did not like it. I did not like the college I went to. I decided that, that it just wasn't for me, and so I wasn't going to go back, and I didn't quite know what I was going to do. And to be honest with you, I really hadn't been all that faithful to God. I mean, I went to church every Sunday morning, sure, but he wasn't the main priority of my life at that time. I was doing the things that I wanted to do more than I was doing the things that he wanted me to. But thankfully, 
we have a God who is gracious in provision. Um, I'm standing where I am now because he opened a door for me. And I'm sure you can think of times in your life when God has opened major doors for you, maybe even in ways that you didn't see coming. Our God really is gracious in provision. See, all of us have problems in our lives. All of us have reached a point in our lives where we don't quite know what to do. We hit a crossroad. We hit a fork in the road, and we don't know which way to go. And when you look at the story of Naaman, Naaman is at a crossroad of sorts. If you look at 2 Kings 5 and verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor. So from that, Naaman really has it all. I mean, Syria is becoming a world power at this point. And so Naaman, he's a commander of that army. They're winning victory after victory. He's held in high honor. So he has it all. But then the very last part of that verse, but he was a leper. So Naaman had it all, except for the fact that he was a leper. He was suffering from leprosy. Leprosy is a disease that bites away at your nervous system. And eventually your nerves get to the point where they stop working and you stop feeling things. And so leprosy can lead to loss of limbs and eventually it can lead to death. And really, it's, it, back then it wasn't treatable. There wasn't a way um, really to fix leprosy without the power of God. Everyone has problems. Naaman had a big problem here. Um, I, I bet you that Naaman exhausted a lot of physical resources trying to get rid of his leprosy, but to no avail. Leprosy wasn't something that he could get rid of on his own. But with God, our problems can be fixed. If you read down in verse 3, Naaman happened to have a slave from the nation of Israel, the northern nation of Israel. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria. He could cure him of leprosy. So Naaman has gone and he's fought in Israel and he brought back a slave And she says, oh, man, I see that my master, that Naaman, is struggling with leprosy. If only he was back home in Samaria, he could go to the prophet of God, and his leprosy would just be cured. It would go away. It wouldn't be a problem that he has to deal with. Sometimes the best advice, the most godly advice, comes from unexpected places. I can bet you that Naaman didn't expect to get advice that would completely change his life from this slave girl. So Naaman gets this great advice, and he has two options. He can either act on it and go seek out the prophet, or he could look at the slave girl and see that God hasn't really been providing for her in his view. She's in captivity. She's his slave. Um, He's gone, and he's fought Israel. So maybe he could have expected the God of Israel to not be somebody worth seeking out. But thankfully, that's not the view that Naaman had. Instead, he went to ask God for help. Naaman was forced to go ask God for help, though. There was no way on his own he could get rid of his leprosy. He had to go to God. There are some problems that we have that we just can't solve on our own unless we go to God. And thankfully, we have a God who's gracious and is willing to provide ways to deal with our problems. Our God is gracious in provision. Secondly, from this story, I want us to see that our God is gracious in what he demands. When we go to God, he might ask for something in return. He might not give it to us free of charge. So for Naaman, he goes to the prophet of God in verse 8. When Elisha, the man of... Sorry. 
Verse 10, And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. So Elisha sends a servant out and tells Naaman, You have to go dip in the Jordan seven times. Seven's the perfect number. The perfect number of times he had to go and dip in the Jordan. God asks us to do things. What are some things that God has asked us as Christians? Well, he's asked us to go and immerse ourselves, to be baptized. That's something that God has asked us to do. God has asked us to believe that his son really is his son, uh, that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus came in the flesh, that Jesus is the Christ, the savior that he sent for us. God has asked us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God's asked us to love our neighbors as ourselves. We could go on and on and on with some things that God has asked us to do. What's important to note, though, is what God asks us to do isn't going to be hard. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The things that God asks us to do aren't going to be hard. So Naaman is told to go dip in the Jordan seven times. That's not something that's very hard to do. I mean, you just have to get in and out of the water. I mean, his clothes might have gotten a little wet, but that's nothing. That's not hard to do. Naaman almost didn't even do it because he was mad that it was so easy. He thought that Elisha was going to come out and put on this big spectacle to cure him of his leprosy. He thought that it was too easy for him to just go dip in the Jordan seven times. What God asks us to do isn't always hard. It's like before I got married, I hated doing the dishes. I would let the dishes just pile up in the sink. But once I got married and my wife asked me if I would be the one who does the dishes, I don't really mind doing dishes anymore because it's for somebody that I love. When you do things for God, when God asks you to do things, if you really love him, those things aren't going to be hard for you to do. But you still have to hold up your end of the deal. You still have to do what God asks. Naaman wasn't just healed because he heard the instructions to go dip in the Jordan. In verse 14, So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Naaman still had to go, and he had to go dip in the Jordan, and ultimately, God followed through on his promise. He was cleaned. Even the simplest things that God asks us to do have to be done. But our God is gracious in what he demands. And finally, our God is gracious in his price. God doesn't want our money for his blessings or for his provision. Naaman was loaded up with money, with possessions to give to Elisha if this worked. If you look at verse 5, the king of Syria said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. That's a lot of stuff to bring to Elisha. But Elisha rejected it, ultimately, in verse 16. But he said, as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Elisha refused everything that Naaman brought to offer to him. Imagine seeing a person, uh, just walking up to a person and offering offering them $20. Most people are going to say yes to that, especially a person who's maybe on the side of the road. Um, We see people asking for money all the time back in Colorado on the side of the road. If you offer someone like that food, 
or money, they take it 10 times out of 10. See, Elisha probably wasn't the the most well-dressed person. The prophets of God normally lived on their own in seclusion. Um, They were rougher people. But they didn't need anything because they had God, and his blessing was free. So what did God want? He didn't want Naaman's money. He wanted Naaman's devotion. That's all that God wants from us is our devotion. So God and his prophet, they didn't need payment for the miracle. So in verse 17, then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, go in peace. God wanted Naaman's devotion, and so Naaman said, I'm going to be faithful to the God of Israel for the rest of my life. In fact, he brought dirt from Israel, so that's where he could worship on, so he could worship the God of Israel. And he even says, I'm going to have to go into this pagan temple because the king's going to want to worship this pagan god. And he's going to be leaning on my arm, and I'll have to bow down with him to help him bow to this pagan god. And he asks for forgiveness in advance for when he does that because he doesn't want to worship that pagan god. He wants to worship the god who had the power to cleanse him, the gracious god who was willing to cleanse him. And ultimately he's told to go in peace. Naaman is going to go and be faithful now to the God of Israel. But what's important about this, just because God is gracious in his price, we still can't let money become our God. We can't be greedy. We can't let money get between our relationship with God. At the end of this story, uh, we see Elisha's servant, who has been in the book of 2 Kings up to this point quite a bit, uh, Gehazi. And verse 20 Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian, and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. So Gehazi runs after Naaman, and he makes up this story about needing two talents of silver and two changes of clothing because he believes, first off, that Naaman needs to pay for the blessing he received, but then second off, he just thinks he deserves that money. He, he deserves those possessions. And so he runs after and he brings them back. And then in verse 25, we see him come before Elisha. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. This always makes me think of my nephew. I love my nephew, Riker. But one of the mistakes that my sister made pretty quick in raising him was teaching him the word nothing. Um, that became his go-to word. If he was doing something wrong and you said, Riker, what are you doing? The answer was nothing every single time. It's like Gehazi here is like when we catch my nephew in a lie. The answer is nothing. Elisha says, where have you been? And he says, nowhere. I, haven't, I was just in my room uh, by myself. I wasn't doing anything. But obviously Elisha, being a man of God, knows better than that. And so he continues. 
But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. Gehazi made money his idol. He let money get between his relationship with God. And ultimately, he was punished for it. He was cursed for it. See, our God is gracious in his price, but that doesn't mean that we can let money become our idol. That doesn't mean that we can let money become our God. In America, we're prideful a lot of times. Sometimes we aren't willing to ask for help. But some problems that we have are just God problems. And thankfully, we do have a gracious God who is willing to provide for us. Whether we're suffering emotionally, physically, spiritually, however it is, God is willing to provide if we go to him in prayer and we ask him for help. Uh, Maybe you're suffering today with an addiction of some kind, and you just can't find the strength in yourself to overcome it. Or maybe uh, you're getting older now, and, and it's harder to get up every morning, and you're just looking for comfort from somewhere. Well, thankfully, we have a God that we can go to for strength, for peace, for comfort, for hope. For whatever we need. However, that means that we have to follow through on what he demands of us. We have to stay true to his commandments and follow through on them. And we have to let our heart be his. That's what God wants. But for this to be true, we do have to follow through on his demands. Imagine how much better off our world would be if everyone obeyed the commands of God. Wouldn't our world be a little better off? Our society would be a little bit better off if We had less hatred and violence and anger. All it takes is believing in God and making him the authority of your life. Turning to our gracious God. Maybe this morning you made that decision in the past for God to be your authority, for him to be your God. But you've turned from that. Um, you, You aren't living the life that you know you should be. Maybe you feel a little bit like the Jews who were in captivity. You're looking around saying, where is God in my life right now? I feel like God has abandoned me. That's how the Jews felt. God abandoned the Jews because of what they did. Uh, A lot of times, God hasn't really abandoned us, but we feel like that because we've turned from him, not because he's turned from us. And today is a great day where we can turn back to him, where we can turn back and worship him. Or maybe today, you're not spiritually where you need to be. Maybe you're still, uh, like Naaman, a a spiritual leper. Um, You haven't been cleansed of that yet by turning to God. Well, we can assist you in that this morning um, by immersing you, by baptizing you in the name of Jesus. And you can reap the benefits from having this gracious God that we've been talking about. If you do have a need, you can come forward this morning and we'll pray with you, study with you, baptize you, assist you in any way you need. Uh, You come forward this morning while we stand and while we sing.